Good morning again, and I am Barry Holbrook. I'm the life group pastor here. Pastor Eric is at a marriage retreat in Maranatha, uh, giving his sage wisdom to other couples on how to be happily married, right? So I think he did a good job. We stayed until the last session, so uh, surely he used a lot of examples about how you impacted his life, so uh, it was all good stuff. It was good, but uh, you know... You know how that goes, right? But it was good. It was about 80 people at the retreat, and, and me and Tanya got to be able to go and spend some time there just uh, being a married couple. It's pretty exciting, you know. And uh, that's where we are. So we're starting this new series, Identity Defined. And our culture is very interested in the journey of discovering individual identity, personality tests dream assessments, even Facebook quizzes. You ever taken a Facebook quiz before? Like, what kind of poodle are you? You know, those are the kind of tests you take on Facebook, you know. If you, if you were a fruit, would you be a tangerine or a pear? Um, you know, I usually fail those tests. But those kind of tests are available everywhere you look, and it seems like everyone is searching for something to tell them who they are, where they belong, and how they relate to the world. You know, the Bible says that all men and women are created in God's image, and humankind was created to reflect some of God's attributes. And you can look for identity anywhere, but Jesus' followers are called to find their identity in Christ. Where do you find your identity? That's what it's supposed to say right here. Well, let me turn the TV on. You know, I, I trust certain people. That's probably a failure of mine. I only trust one person in this world, and she's sitting right there. So I don't know. Is it working now? I have no idea. I'm just going to pretend it's working. And if someone wants to fix it for me, they can. All right, where do you find your identity? Our culture encourages you to look within yourself for your identity, but our natural tendency is to search for our identity in external things. One of the first places that you can be tempted to look is your job or your career. Spending your time and energy pursuing your career as a banker or a realtor can cause you to feel like that's a defining characteristic of who you are. Or maybe you spend 80 plus hours a week behind the wheel of a semi or or sitting in a tractor. And if you were asked about your identity, you would answer trucker or farmer. And if suddenly your job or your truck or your tractor were no longer options, how would you then identify yourself? How would you? Or maybe you spend all your extra hours preparing or studying for exams and the only Identity that you would even consider for yourself is that of a student. See, it's easy to identify yourself with what you do rather than who you are. Like I'm a mom, or I'm a dad, or I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor, I'm a hairstylist, I'm a teacher, I'm a volleyball player, I'm a football player. Now, when it comes to jobs and careers... They're closely connected to other places where you can search for your identity, such as financial success or your status. But it doesn't stop there. We also ask our relationship statuses and appearances and grades and reputations to provide a sense of identity for us, don't we? 
When a, young, when a young couple moves from engaged to married, one of the first official acts is to change their Facebook status, right? Do you remember young, the young ones here? Do you remember when you got to change your Facebook status to married? Me and Tanya didn't have, Facebook wasn't even a thing yet. I, I guess the only way we could let people know that we were married is to walk around with our rings up. You know, I'm married now. Most people saw me and be like, oh, Really? Yep, I'm married. I'm married. But man, it's exciting to move from engaged to married. I'm the young adult group leader here at the church, me and Tanya, and we had eight marriages out of our young adult group this year. Now, a year ago, nobody was even dating in that group. And then I did a series called Dating for Dummies. And at first, they were offended by the title. But I'm telling you, people do date dumb. They don't know how to do it right. And then I did that series, and all of a sudden, we have eight marriages. And now the ones that are single in the group, they're going, can you teach that series again? I think they think that it's magic, that if I teach that series, they'll find somebody. You know, I don't know. But, but it's been fun. I did my last wedding last Sunday out of Lake Helen, so I think we'll take a break for a while. It's fun. All right, so... But changing your status, when I, was in, when I was in junior high, the way you dressed was a fantastic way to change your identity. I would wake up in the morning as this nerdy, chubby, chipmunk-looking dude, but if I put on the right shirt and I had it unbuttoned down to here, I didn't have any hair on my chest, but it didn't matter. It was the 70s, you know, and so we had this weird psychedelic stuff on our shirt, and I found the right kind of hip jeans to put on and had the right kind of kicks on. They didn't call them kicks when I was in school. They just called them shoes. So then I would have the right stuff on. Man, I, I look in the mirror, and I became super nerd. I mean, I was, I was amazing. I mean, I looked good, and I would get on the bus, and I would get to the school thinking, man, people are going to notice me now until the popular kids in the school looked at me and went, <laughs> look at the loser. And then I wanted to go home and change because my clothing did not change my identity one bit. But some of us think our clothing changes our identity. As a matter of fact, some of you that are in my age group still look in the closet. You probably would never admit this, but you still look in the closet going, is there anything in there that would make me look just a little bit cooler? See, no one wants to admit it. No one wants to admit it. I do. You know, I have to do something to look cool. Here we go. But then I went into high school. I was an excellent student. I made mostly A's and B's, but I didn't want my friends to know that. I didn't want to identify as an honor student, so I chose to identify as a pot-smoking, beer-drinking stud muffin. That's what I did. I don't pot-smoke anymore. Don't drink beer anymore. I'm still a stud muffin, though. Yeah, there we go. All right. Look, if you base your identity on things like success or wealth or power or physical appearance, you're setting yourself up for great disappointment. You know, a sudden job loss could leave you questioning your, que your choices in life, you know, or one piece of gossip aimed at your heart could destroy your reputation even if it's untrue, right? And your appearance, well, it's going to change as you get older. I'm going to say that again for the young ones. Your appearance will change as you grow older. God, however, is unchanging. He is reliable. 
He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you find your identity in him, you will never ultimately be let down because he has proven time and time and time again to be trustworthy. It is important as you identify yourself, as you define your identity, that God not be just an aspect of who you are, like, well, I'm a Christian, or I'm religious, or I'm spiritual, or I go to church. Understanding your identity in God starts with understanding who He is, and what He says about Himself, and what He says about you. Your identity can be defined by who God is orchestrating you to be in His image. And let me stop for just a second. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not trusted in, relied on, and placed your faith in him, you are not a Jesus follower. You are separated from God because of your sin. And the Bible says you are actually a slave to your sin. You may not feel like it, but you are. Most of what I'm going to say today talks about who you are as a Jesus follower. But I want you to know that without Jesus, you are separated from God. You do not have a relationship with God, but you can. So as you hear these truths today, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart about placing your faith and trust in Jesus, and if you're online and you're hearing this and you realize you need a relationship with Jesus, then leave something in the comments so that we can get in touch with you. If you're here live, just get in touch with one of us, and we will walk you through Scripture. We will help you understand how to become a Jesus follower. But to be able to understand your identity as a Jesus follower, you need to understand how he sees you. It's tempting to build your identity on what you accomplish, but that's not a stable foundation. Your true identity is ultimately based on what God has done for you. In the Bible, God tells us how often he views his people as lovely. So let's take a look at how God sees you if you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. First is, you are loved. And I'm telling you, in our culture, to be loved is mighty important. Not just liked, not just cared about but genuinely, deeply loved. And if you're a Jesus follower, you are loved. In Christ, you are loved. You are created with a purpose. You are not just a convenient carbon copy of someone else. You were created uniquely. You were created with intention. God lovingly and painstakingly designed every minute detail of who you are as a person. Can you imagine the love involved with that intricate design? Listen to Psalm 139, verse 14. God, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And then in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, it says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. To be made alive literally means that we were brought from death to life. We were dead in our sin. We deserved death. We deserved hell. But due to no effort of our own, God chose to give us grace 
that we may be saved and be made alive in Christ. Grace can best be described as receiving that which we do not deserve. You are loved. You are loved. And not only are you loved, you are chosen. In Christ, you are chosen. God sent his own son, Jesus, to die in your place that you could be included in his family. Listen to this verse, Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us in him before, this is very important, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God was not obligated to choose you based on your performance. God was not obligated to choose you based on your credentials. God was not obligated to choose you because of your bank account or your last name. He didn't choose you because of your church attendance. He didn't choose you because of your knowledge of Scripture. He chose to carry out an intricate plan that involved the death of his own perfect son, which allowed you the opportunity to be the child of God. And listen, you were chosen before the creation of the world, and there's no one in this room that old. No one. If you're sitting there thinking that God can't love you or God can't choose you or God can't use you because of things you have said and done, I want you to think again, friend, because he made his decision about you before you took your first breath. Colossians 1 puts it like this, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You are not a mistake. You are chosen. You matter. You are wanted. You are loved. You are chosen. You're forgiven. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that exciting? How many of you right now, raise your hand if you would like me to put on the screen every sin you committed last week? Anyone? Anyone want to volunteer for that? No. No. How about the sins you committed yesterday? No, we don't want people to know that. The the thing about it is, is we are forgiven. Now, it doesn't mean we can freely sin and go about doing willy-nilly anything we want to, but the reality is when we placed our faith and trust in Jesus, we were forgiven, not just of our past sins, but our present sins, and hold on to your seats, your future sins. Now, does that mean you can take advantage of God's grace and do whatever you want? Well, you could, but that's not the way you're supposed to live. You're supposed to honor God in your behavior, honor God in your choices, and make choices that look like you belong to Jesus, not take advantage of his grace. You're forgiven. In order to be a child of God, you have to be free of sin. Now, listen, this is mind-blowing, but it's true. In order to be a child of God, you have to be 100% perfect in regard with doing right and not doing wrong. And that is an impossible standard considering that no one but Jesus is perfect and no one can attain perfection by their own effort. You just can't do it. However, 
Because Jesus, who was without sin, died the death that you should have died on the cross, you can be forgiven of sin. What you've done wrong is not counted against you, and all that Christ did right is counted for you, and this forgiveness allows you to be a child of God. Now, I'm getting ready to use a big word. I'm warning you ahead of time, and, and Eric gave me permission because he doesn't use the big words when he teaches, and that's not an insult. He actually said, go ahead and warn the people that you're getting ready to use a big word, all right? So I'm getting ready to use a big word, and that big word is justification. So what does justification mean? Justification means that the act of God whereby he declares, very important, a sinful person righteous. The act of God whereby he declares a sinful person righteous. Since we have been justified or declared righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. So what God did when we placed our faith and trust in Christ is he declared us righteous. Now, justification makes two absolutely amazing declarations. Are you ready? Number one, God declares that we have no penalty to pay for our sin. Romans 8.1, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So God, when you say yes to Jesus, God declares that you have no penalty to pay for your sin. Why? He paid it on the cross. And the second thing that's declared is we are righteous in God's sight. Since we have been justified or declared righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have no penalty to pay for our sin, and we are now righteous in his sight. Therefore, in God's eyes, if you've accepted, trusted in, and believed in what Jesus did for you, you are 100% forgiven. And from his perspective, you are without sin. It's not that you won't sin because you will. But when he looks at you, he calls you righteous. He calls you forgiven. And that is your spiritual position before God, forgiven and righteous. And that is something on which you can build your identity. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So where's our position when God sees us? We are seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. That's our position. Now on earth, our practice has yet to match up to that. But on earth, we are supposed to live our lives in such a way to bring honor and glory to Jesus daily. We're supposed to get our practice on earth to line up with our position in heaven. That's our daily, daily striving. You are loved. You are chosen. And thank God you're forgiven. Thank God I'm forgiven. And you are redeemed. That means that Christ's sacrifice has bought you back from the forces of sin and evil that once controlled you. And God has made you his. He's redeemed you. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, Hebrews 10.10. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the sinner. He doesn't see you in the light of who you once were. He sees you as forgiven and righteous and redeemed, a new creation that has been made whole. 
You don't have to define yourself in the light of your past mistakes. God doesn't do that. You can walk in the identity of someone who is made new in Christ. It's so important that you go to God's word to find out how he feels about you. Your identity should never be based on a hope. Your identity should never be based on a guess. God gave us his word so that we can know him and know who he is making you to be in Christ. Now, another truth contained in God's word that is absolutely mind-blowing. I almost want to take a break so you guys could get your wits about you because this is how cool this is. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.21. You ready? I need to hear you. All righty. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What? That's crazy town stuff. That makes no sense. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, you heard that correctly. When Jesus was hanging on the cross of Calvary, God made sinless Jesus to be sin for us. And that is what is meant when you hear that Jesus took on our sins upon his back. He literally and spiritually became sin on our behalf. We deserve death. He did not. He died in our place. And when Jesus died in our place as our substitute, he satisfied all the demands of God's justice forever. Thus freeing the Jesus follower from any possibility of condemnation. 1 Peter chapter 2 puts it like this. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Now, it's the second half of that verse that blows my mind. The first part, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Whew, that's big. But this is bigger. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Why did God make Jesus sin for us? So we might become the righteousness of God. You are loved. You are chosen. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. And you are the righteousness of God. While Jesus was on the cross, a fantastic, stupendous, exciting exchange took place. An exchange that has baffled the angels of heaven. An exchange that no one in a million years would ever dare dream. God exchanged the righteousness, the perfection, the goodness, and the holiness of Jesus for our nasty, putrid, filthy sin. God took our putrid, nasty, filthy sin and placed it on the back of Jesus and he became sin for us. And he took the perfection and the holiness of Jesus. And if we place our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, we are the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin. We became righteous. That's real. That's what God's word teaches. That's how much God loved us. We have been declared righteous by the Lord of the universe. You can live in the light of the righteousness that you were given. 
It not only allows you to approach God boldly, but it allows you to be an ambassador to people around you. Because your righteousness that was not earned, but freely given through faith in Jesus, you can share that gift with others in your family and the people you work with and your friends. And it's our responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. Why would you not want to? John talked about it the last two weeks. We're scared. But my goodness. When a woman named Joan opened her mouth and told me about Jesus and I was wanting her to shut up because it drove me insane to hear her talk about Jesus and I finally went to church just to shut her up and I heard the goodness of Christ and I gave my life to Christ in October of 1989 and there's no turning back. How about you? Do you remember those days? Do you remember the days before Jesus? Share it with somebody. In Christ, you're loved. In Christ, you're chosen. In Christ, you're forgiven. In Christ, you're redeemed. In Christ, you are an ambassador for Christ. And in Christ, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. That's your identity. That's who you are. Let's pray. Father, these truths are life-altering. These truths are life-changing. These truths, if we live in the identity of who we are in Christ, we will live differently. We will act differently. We will talk differently. We will think differently. Father, I pray that every person in this room will leave here knowing that their identity is not in farmer or trucker or nurse or doctor or student, but their identity is in Christ. And they are loved and they are forgiven and they are chosen and they are righteous. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.